I can't change this fact. I can't change whatever fact it is. I can't change my son's diagnosis. I can't change the fact that the world is on fire. I can't change the fact that my parents are getting old. I can't change any of these things. I cannot fix them. So how do I get up every morning and keep going? This is Here After, and I'm your host, Megan Devine, author of the best-selling book, It's Okay That You're Not Okay. This week on Hereafter, author Mary Laura Philpot on the anxiety involved in trying to keep everyone safe, even when you know you can't possibly do that. That conversation coming up right after this first break. It took 11 years to get to the sale. The NYX anniversary sale is on now at knix.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of NYX's biggest sales of the year. Get 30% off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. Millions of people have made the switch to NYX leak-proof underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. Save 30% on super comfortable, machine-washable, and great-looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes, from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak-proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. Don't miss this chance to stock up on your NYX favorites or try something new. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com for the NYX anniversary sale. Hurry, the sale ends on Monday, May 13th. Go to NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. When Dr. Sabah and I decided to do a skincare line together, he said to me, we are going to give women meaningful beauty. And I said, that's exactly right. We want to give women meaningful beauty, which means each and every product is meaningful. It has a, a reason to exist. It's efficacious. You're going to get results. And then you just go out and live your life. Meaningful beauty. Confidence is beautiful. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Before we get started, one quick note. While we cover a lot of emotional, relational territory in our time here together, this show is not a substitute for skilled support with a licensed mental health provider or for professional supervision related to your work. Hey friends. So I spent, okay, most, <laughs> I was gonna say a lot, but most of this weekend reading every book ever written by today's guest, best-selling author, Mary Laura Philpot. Now, before you say, boy, that is commitment, the truth is that her books are really good. <laughs> and I saw a lot of myself in her books. 
I saw a lot of myself in the ways her mind works. For example, there's a section in her latest book, Bomb Shelter, where she talks about her morning meditation practice. And that is pretty much identical to what happens in my brain when I try to meditate myself. Anyway, I think a lot of people are going to relate to this week's guest, especially if you tend to run anxious, like if you've ever worried about bad things happening to the people you love, you're going to see yourself in this episode today. Mary Laura's latest book, Bomb Shelter, traces her son's epilepsy from being woken up early one morning to the sounds of what would turn out to be her son's first seizure out into the anxiety that many of us hold for those we love, the people in our care, to the wider world, to pretty much everything ever. Anxiety as a state of being. So let's get right into it. I am so glad you're here for many, I'm many, so happy to be here. many, many, many reasons. One of them is that as I was reading through Bomb Shelter, I kept saying out loud, like, oh, my God, I think we're twins. Oh, my God, I think we're twins. <laughs> fortunately, fortunately, the dog doesn't care when I yell about being feeling like I'm twins with somebody. But that, the, epi- <laughs> the episode, the chapter that really got me was the chapter on meditation called Calm your mind. Calm yourself. Right. Right. It's an ongoing struggle, the meditation for me. Although I think maybe it is for everybody, and that's kind of the point. Yeah. There are two things I love about that chapter. One is the reality of what actually happens when a person sits down to attempt to meditate, but also as a writer, the structure of it. The oh thank you. Cadence of the back and forth. Here's the calm voice, the disembodied voice telling you to calm your thoughts. And then there's the actual contents of your brain, which is very striking resemblance to the contents of my brain. <laughs> but there's that alternating cadence that you introduce in one of those early chapters on meditation. Like that alternating cadence actually runs through the rest of the book. Yeah. Thank you for noticing. Yeah, I, you're <laughs> welcome. <laughs> It makes me so happy to have sort of like craft conversations with people. I enjoyed writing that chapter so much. It was fun. It's very true to life, you know, that none of those things are made up. It's not like I sat at my computer and said, what's a wacky thing someone would think during meditation? Like all of those come from my actual head, from actual meditating. And I really wanted to do justice to that contrast between you know, the voice of calm and reason that you're trying to impose on your brain when you meditate and the voice that's really in there and the thing, you know, just the absolute oddball things your brain lobs into your consciousness, even when you're trying to quiet it. And to do that, I studied dialogue. Just I grabbed novels off my shelf and I was studying how does the best dialogue work when you have two characters who are kind of different and they're not fighting but they just cannot find themselves on the same page. I worked on it really hard and I appreciate you saying you loved it because I love it too. It was fun. It was really fun to work on. It was enjoyable. But that contrast, that kind of bouncing back and forth between two poles mentally, as you say, that does kind of run through the book. Even the chapters that have nothing to do with meditation, which is all the other chapters. Because I am the kind of person, and maybe you are too, if indeed we are twins, that I have part of my brain constantly catastrophizing. Part of my brain is always 
looking out for the worst possible thing that's going to happen and then extrapolating that into the outcomes and how, how am I going to deal with those outcomes? And I'm like all the way down some fictional road of stuff that hasn't even happened. And it has sent me into a legitimate emotional panic. And then the other half of my brain is actually pretty happy-go-lucky and positive and uses humor as a coping mechanism and is cracking jokes all the time. I have both of those parts of my mind active all the time, and they really do sort of play off each other. And when I find myself in a crisis of any sort, which I, I find myself in a few different crises in bomb shelter, those sides tend to kind of get into it with each other, mm. you know, and so that back and forth becomes more pronounced. Yeah, there's something in there about also the the story of the story. Yeah. And I think not only as a as a craft thing, but as a, a way that we try to survive the things that we are forced to survive, there's that almost like the, the buffering yes. between the reality that we're living and the mental life of the story we're living. Yeah. And the way we kind of try to give narrative shape to the things we're going through, almost as if by giving these events narrative shape, we can predict how they turn out. Yeah. Like if we can go, okay, well, that thing just happened was the beginning and I'm now in the middle. So what's about to happen is the twist. And then we're going to get the happy ending. You know, you our, our little brains love storytelling. I think it's because we like to pretend that we can predict the outcomes of things or control the outcomes of things even worse. Yeah. And I think there's also something about finding your footing in the story you're living that mm -hmm. without the story, it's just undifferentiated chaos, which is truly what it is. But we, yeah. we don't like to live in undifferentiated chaos. That's mm -hmm. that's a bit much. Yeah. There's a line in the book where you say, I want the world to conform to a story that makes sense. But that desire crashes against the rock of reality again and again. Indeed. Which is really what we're talking about. <laughs> Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. Ah, there are a lot of listeners to the show who are either writers currently or want to be writers, want to tell awesome. that story. And I, I think there's such a big difference between, I mean, this is sort of a phrase that we've heard before, but like writing from the fresh wound versus writing from yes. the scar of that. Can you, how has that shown up? Yeah. In your life, and a, and a little spoiler that's not really a spoiler, is that Bomb Shelter is about learning that your son has epilepsy. And epilepsy isn't something that goes away, so you are still living the story. So it's not actually like we wait for the story to be over before we can write about it. But yeah, is there anything to that for you writing from the scar tissue rather than the open wound? I mean, there's a difference, you know, generally the advice is that if you write with some perspective and some time on the events of the past, you can see context better. You can see how events relate to one another better, and perhaps you can actually craft a better narrative because you can see threads that you just can't see when you're in it. My book that came before this, the one called I Miss You When I Blink, most of that book is written from, from time and perspective away from the events in it. And it's also a slightly different structure of a book, similar, but more of an essay collection versus a memoir. You could flip to any section of I Miss You When I Blink and start there and it would be fine. You can read the pieces individually, whereas Bombshell Tribe really feel like you need to start at the beginning and go all the way through. But and I miss you when I blink. I was writing about young adulthood, kind of the first 
half or maybe first third of adulthood. And I was writing it when I was well past those events. So I could see, I could go, oh, look how this thing I used to do in my 20s was kind of a precursor to this thing I used to do in my 30s. Oh, I see that pattern. Bomb shelter begins in the past tense. And as you said, it, it's it's actually not all about being the mom of of this kid with epilepsy, but that that event does give it some scaffolding. It kind of gives it a little narrative propulsion. It's about a lot of things, but I use that as the beginning of the book as a way of going, once upon a time, things were pretty stable. And then all of a sudden they weren't because this thing happened. And as you go through the book and you get closer to the end, I catch up in time. So by the final paragraphs of the book, I'm writing in present tense and I'm saying, I am now putting my pencil down. You know, I'm ending the book here. I wanted to do that on purpose because what I wanted to do with Bomb Shelter was really bring to life what it feels like to be inside this encapsulated bubble of a of an experience where everything is uncertain. I feel like we go through those little bubbles multiple times in our lives for various reasons. But this one, it worked well for a book and it worked well for a story because it had a beginning. You know, once upon a time, this mom finds her kid unconscious on the floor. And where I chose to end it was he's finished high school. He's about to leave home because that two-year period from when I found him on the floor, which was midway through high school, and when he graduated, I had this ticking time clock in my head where I was like, I have two years. I have two years to make sure he's safe. I have two years to make sure everything is okay, not only in his life, but in the entire world, because I can't <laughs> set him free into a, this world unless everything is safe. And so that was the mental and emotional experience for me. It was this two-year period of just grappling with uncertainty and then really going through all the stages of magical thinking of, I'm going to magically make the world safe by doing these things. Okay, that didn't work. How am I going to realistically live with uncertainty? Yeah. I totally want to get into anxiety and uncertainty and, and trying to make the entire world a safe place for everybody you care about at all costs. But did you ever have a moment writing inside that bubble where you're like, I can't believe I'm sitting here doing edits on our life like this. Like, I say this as somebody who has written and continues to write about some really, really horrific events in my own life. And there's that, mm -hmm. we mentioned this a minute ago, this like sort of doubling that happens or this, yeah. this pause that happens, this blank space between what you've lived and then writing about it. But there's that like weird moment, at least for me, and I'm really curious if this is true for you, this weird moment of like, right now me can't believe that I'm sitting here calmly editing the horrible turn of events. Yes, it's weird. <laughs> it's just, it's it so just weird. is weird. And it's weird to see, you know, I refer to me in the book, I call that the me character. There's me who you're talking to on this podcast. And then there's the me character in that book. And she is based on me who you're talking to right now a few years ago. But she looks a little different and sounds a little different, is a little different in the mind of each reader. Because unlike me, who you're talking to right now, she only exists within the context of the information I've given you in that story. So anything I haven't given you in that story, which is actually like 99% of my life, gets filled in by readers with assumptions that they make and experiences that they've had and 
And so that me character is a little bit different for every reader. And and one of the things that helped me through that weirdness that you just described, where you're like, I am sitting here at my kitchen table, typing up the scene that happened three years ago, where me, the me character <laughs> was in this awful scenario, but that actually happened. One of the things that helps me through that is just reminding myself on a daily basis that what I am doing, although I am I'm using events that happened in real life. Those are kind of my ingredients. The process I'm doing is the same as the process any fiction writer goes through. So, you know, I just said like the the ingredients, if you're going to use a cooking analogy, like all writers as chefs are using an oven and they're cooking and they're chopping, you know, we all go through the same processes, meaning we're all, you know, writing dialogue and editing and adjusting our pacing and all this sort of stuff. Fiction writers are pulling from a pantry of things they've made up. Nonfiction writers are pulling from a pantry of stuff that actually happened. And if I can kind of keep myself in that showrunner mode and in that, okay, I am the creator right now of this story and I'm going to take these pieces of things, but really treat them with the reserve and the distance and the kind of creative and analytical attention that you would give any kind of story you're creating, that little bit of distance helps. Because otherwise you're right, it is pretty weird. It is really, really weird. Right. And it goes back to what we were talking about earlier is that idea that you don't write from an open wound to add even more metaphors into the soup here, because that's how I create things. I had this image as you were describing that as like you're standing in the hallway mm-hmm. looking into the room of that experience. Yeah, it's you, like that. You can't write from inside the room, but you have right. to be able to see and feel across that threshold. Yeah. And revisit it into that room in order to write about it in order yeah. to speak about it. And that, I think that's true whether you are writing to tell yourself the story or you're writing to share the stories with others. Like you have yeah. to be able to be on decently firm footing in the hallway. Yes. And no longer actively living in that room. Right. But you've still got to be able to access it. You've got to be able to recreate it and and remember how did it feel and what did it look like and what did it sound like? And there are all sorts of, you know, little techniques you can use to do that. You can play music from that time, or you can, one of the things that's, that was really helpful to me, especially in the parts of Bomb Shelter, where I wrote about semi-traumatic events that involved other people. Like I I write about my son's first seizure and, and finding him on the floor. I write about something that happened to my dad, I, you know, events that have been within the last few years, but that were very emotionally intense at the time where I was really in survival mode. I can go back and find in my phone text messages I sent on those days. And when I see what I was saying and how I was speaking to, you know, loved ones and, you know, when I was in the hospital with my son, I was texting my sister-in-law who is a pediatric neurologist. I can go back and look at those texts and see the state I was in and the words I was using. And that kind of puts me right back there. So there are little tools you can use to kind of dive back into those moments. And then, you know, of course, the trick at the end of the day is to get yourself back out of it so you can actually go to sleep. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Tethered to the current world while making forays into the world that was. Yeah. And I, I always think about that, like, you know, you're you're leaving your future self a trail of breadcrumbs to come back to that. And I yeah. think for a lot of people, they're like, why the hell would I ever want to go back to those <laughs> yeah. to those moments? And I mean, there are lots of reasons why people would do that. Maybe they want to write about it. Maybe they want to look at 
how far they come is a weird phrase because it, it kind of suggests that there's progression and whatever, but like to be able to look back at that self you were, mm-hmm. those little portals and entry points, they're, they're really powerful for that sort of thing. They are. And they're important. And, you know, going back to the, the craft of what you're doing when you're writing memoir, although it is, is mem- it's memoir and it's true, it has to do the same job that fiction does. It has to entertain. It has to, you know, grip someone's attention and make them want to turn the page. And so you have to be able to give those sensory details and to make the story come alive. You can't just use some self-protective, you know, light touch with it. Cause you're like, Oh, this hurts too much to look at. If it hurts too much to look at, maybe you shouldn't be writing about it or like not right. for other people, just yeah. write about it in your, your journal and not, don't try to turn it into a book. But if you're going to try to turn it into a book, the people are going to buy and read and tell their friends about, and, and their friends are going to buy. It's got to do the job of a really good story. So you have to access that stuff that makes it feel real. Yeah. I love discussions about craft. <laughs> I do too. It took 11 years to get to the sale. The NYX anniversary sale is on now at knix.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of NYX's biggest sales of the year. Get 30% off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. Millions of people have made the switch to NYX leak-proof underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. Save 30% on super comfortable, machine-washable, and great-looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes, from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak-proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. Don't miss this chance to stock up on your NYX favorites or try something new. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com for the NYX anniversary sale. Hurry, the sale ends on Monday, May 13th. Go to NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. When Dr. Sabah and I decided to do a skincare line together, he said to me, we are going to give women meaningful beauty. And I said, that's exactly right. We want to give women meaningful beauty, which means each and every product is meaningful. It has a a reason to exist. It's efficacious. You're going to get results. And then you just go out and live your life. Meaningful beauty. Confidence is beautiful. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Are you spending more time in your basement now that it's your rec room, office, kids' playroom, or home gym? Well, you need to ventilate those spaces to remove stagnant, musty air. For over 20 years, the Easy Breathe ventilation system exchanges dirty, damp air for cleaner, drier, healthier air. Take charge of your indoor air with your own Easy Breathe ventilation system. You can get it installed, or DIY kits are available. Just call 866-822-7328 or visit TakeChargeOfYourAir.com and receive 20% off today. This is Here After, and I'm Megan Devine. We've been talking with best-selling author Mary Laura Philpot. Let's get back to it. So one of the reasons that reading you and listening to you, I'm like, we're such twins. The depth of anxiety. <laughs> it goes real deep. It goes real deep, doesn't it? And yes. like the this desire to 
make sure that the people we care about are as safe as we can possibly make them, which is, of course, nothing that is actually in our control. But that Mm -hmm. thread, that desire to make everybody feel safe runs through so much of your work and so much of, of how you show up in the world in your public self. I want to talk about one particular passage in Bomb Shelter. You write, and this is going to sound weird to people who haven't read the book yet, maybe. And if you haven't read it yet, I want it to entice you again to read the book. But you wrote that seeing your son there on the floor, instead of feeling surprised, there was a part of you that almost felt relief. I think relief is my word and your word was recognition. Yeah. No, there's a weird relief to it too, though. Um, And I've discussed this with other people who have been through bad news and and traumas and things. When something awful happens, if you have the kind of anxious mind, like I do, that tends to catastrophize and tends to think in its crazy little way that the brain's job is to imagine every possible bad thing that could happen so that when the bad thing happens, you're ready. If you have that kind of brain, when something awful happens, there's a tiny part of your brain that goes, aha, there it is. Now I can exhale. I don't have to keep waiting. The bad thing has happened. I know what it is now. Now, that's nuts. It doesn't hold up. There are plenty of bad things. There's no rule that says you only get one. And there's also, <laughs> you know, there's also no rule that says if you can think of every bad thing in the whole wide world and prepare for it, you can avoid it. But when your mind works like that, there, at least for me, there is sometimes this little piece of my mind that goes, oh, okay, now I can stop waiting to see what the bad thing is going to be because it's here. Yeah. It's like, this is what I've this is what I've been waiting for. Yep. It's twisted. We have trained for this. Yeah. Yeah, this is what I've been training for. Every night as I lie awake, you know, cat just cataloging awful things. Here's the awful thing. Now we know what it is. Now I know what I'm working with. It's weird, but it's true. Yeah. I think this also intersects with this idea that sort of a horrible pop psychology idea that you manifest your own reality, that your thoughts create the reality that you live in. Does that intersect at all with your particular flavor of anxiety or not so much for you with that one? A little bit, although I honestly think if I think too much about my thoughts manifesting things, (laughs) it's kind of dangerous for me because Mm -hmm. that's exactly what my little anxious brain thinks it can do. It thinks it can prevent tragedy by playing out every possible imagined tragedy, running that imaginary story all the way to its end where I solve it and I save everyone. And therefore, if I've run through this imaginary scenario in my head, if the thing actually happens, it will be fine because I already know how to save it. That That's a dangerous line of thinking for yeah, me. It's, whole manifesting it's, yeah, it's really dangerous. And it's, it it's keeps the, me up at night. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, this is the message that we get from that pop psychology idea, right? That like, how did your thoughts bring this into fruition? And just like, fuck off, man. Like yeah. this is, you are not that powerful and stop giving that message. Yeah. Like, I don't need to be prompted to think no, that my thoughts made things happen. No, I, I prefer, <laughs> I prefer your flavor of anxiety of something bad is coming. Something bad is coming. I have to be ready. I have to be ready. Oh, here it is. It has arrived. And not that that's a, a comfortable brain space to live in, but I think if we if we were ever in some bizarre game where we were forced to choose between those kinds of anxiety, like, yeah. Anyway, that's a weird line of thinking. 
Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's helpful to me to remind myself frequently that most things are out of my control. Yeah. Versus lying awake going, how can I scheme to control everything? Because that is impossible. It is. I remind myself that most things are out of my control. Actually, the more peaceful I am because I stop struggling. I stop doing that struggle of like, I've got to know everything. I've got to be ready for everything. I've got to think through every possible angle of anything that could happen. If I remind myself, actually, I don't because most of this is out of my control. I can go to sleep. Yeah. And I think there's an element of telling yourself the truth in that as well, Mm -hmm. that you don't get a get out of bad shit free card having gone through really difficult things. You can't prevent more from happening. And I think at least what helps me in feeding in the care and feeding of the anxious parts of my brain is to say, like, you do actually have skills to draw from no matter what shows up in your life. And that's the only medicine that that seems to help for my brain is like you do actually have skills to draw from and you can do what Mm -hmm. you can do to help people feel safe and protected, wear your seatbelt, whatever, whatever. But like the world is an erratic and dangerous and beautiful place. Yep. All at the same time. All at the same time. So we've covered anxiety. And the next big thing to cover here is grief. Yeah. And how does grief intersect with this story that we're talking about now or different stories? Like how how does grief intersect with you? A lot of what Bomb Shelter is about is within this two-year period of my life, as I'm looking at what's happening to my son. And I'm also looking at other things in my life, like the fact that my parents are getting older and the roles are kind of reversing there. And I'm getting older and the earth is kind of on fire and a lot of things are happening. That me character starts to experience a lot of anticipatory grief. And and I know people who say, oh, you can't, you can't have anticipatory grief. That's no way to live. You can't be sad in advance of things. That's just crazy. I mean, I know, but I do it. It's how my brain works. It's it's almost as if if I can kind of go ahead and get comfortable with the sadness of some things, maybe they won't hit me quite so hard. Like if I can just go ahead and kind of pre-process some of my sadness, then when the thing happens, it's not going to knock me completely over. I've had for years and years and years anticipatory grief about my children leaving the nest. Um, And I'm not somebody who like orients my whole life and all my daily activities around my children. I've always sort of prided myself on that. Like we have our individual lives and I have my work and, you know, I'm not one of those people that, you know, every minute of every day is spent serving my children's needs, but when I think about, and of course now it's already happened, but it used to be that when I would think about my children not living in my house, it just undid me. And it undid me so severely that I thought, this might kill me when it happens. I mean, my heart might just stop. So I need to go ahead and kind of try to get used to it, kind of try to figure out like, okay, what is this going to be like? I have to have some anticipatory grief around it because if I just let the grief hit me when it comes, I'm going to explode. I think that was sort of the way my brain was working through that. Of course, now I've had one leave the nest and one is still here getting ready to leave the nest within the next couple of years. I don't know if the anticipatory grief helped or not. It's, It's hard no matter what. I think it's about recognizing that you have feelings. 
about yeah. a thing that is going to happen or that will happen at some point in the future. Like, I have some feelings about that. Yes. Right? <laughs> Indeed. I have, I have a lot of feelings. I have a lot of feelings about, about that. a lot of things. Exactly. Actually, one of your one of the other things that I love about you, speaking of I have a lot of feelings about a lot of things, was your um, idea that we should have crying lounges in airports. Yes. Ooh, right? Friend. Yeah. They don't need the smoking lounges anymore. They don't. Nobody we smokes. can repurpose. And everybody... I mean, not everybody. That's wrong. A lot of people passing through airports are going through something. I mean, some people are just going on vacation and that's great. But you've got people flying home for funerals. You've got people going to take care of people. You've got people who have just left someone they love and now they have to fly away. You've got people who are just crying because their flight's been canceled five times. I mean, there's a lot of opportunity for crying (laughs) in airports. And there's nowhere to do it. No, there isn't. I mean, you can sit there at your gate and cry, which, you know, I've done it. But I really love this idea of actual physical space for being human. And you're right. I mean, when uh, when my first book came out, I actually spent a lot of time and made a lot of phone calls trying to get book launch events in the bookstores inside airports because I was like, oh, yeah. you are right here. Like people are going, hoping they make it home in time before somebody dies or they just got news that a family member or a friend is sick and or they just like are going to or coming from a funeral or I just sent my adult children out into the world or, you know, I think I know or for, they were the people on the sidewalk, like hugging and crying and saying exactly. goodbye. And now they're inside the airport. Exactly. And And one of the things that I think has happened a lot during the these last couple of years of the pandemic is like, is this the last time I'm going to see my older parent? Right. Like there's, there is so much humanness happening Mm -hmm. in Mm -hmm. airports and other transportation centers as well. But we are talking about airports right now. Like there, there is so much of that. And I would really, I mean, we, we say this kind of jokingly that there should be crying lounges. I just would really love to see more, public acknowledgement and public spaces for the realities of being human. Yeah. That would be rad. And we do have those spaces. <laughs> I know that they've turned some of those old smoking lounges into pet bathroom break areas. Yes. I've yes, seen pet those. Relief. Yeah. Pet that's right. Pet relief centers. Pet Lu- relief Luna area. and I had to use those on her on her flight back from Mexico. But <laughs> yeah, I just I think I'm surprised when you said uh, people say that you can't feel sad in advance. I'm like, good Lord. Like, I feel sad in advance of so many things. Like, I think feeling feeling sad about the nature of life, right? And, yeah. and all of the various apocalypses and catastrophes. Mm-hmm. And there are just so many things to feel sad about. And that's not that there are so many things to have feelings about is not a bad thing. Yeah. And I'm not saying, like, I like it. It's not fun. I am not like, oh, what am I going to cry about today? But it happens. This is how it's how my mind works. And, you know, I do try to kind of keep it in check. And again, that's going on at the same time that the other side of my mind is doing its thing, which is joking and laughing and being happy to see friends. And, oh, I'm so happy to see a dog on the sidewalk. And isn't the world wonderful? The uh, Both things are happening at the same time. All at the same time. And we go back to like the the structure and the craft of bomb shelter is all of the things happening all at once. Like we we don't just have one channel going on 
yeah. all times. I mean, the the link for me is like, however you are feeling in that moment is perfectly what you need to be feeling in that moment. And look at that dog and look at that. Like, <laughs> the, this, is, this is the human condition. It Everybody, is. yeah. It is. It really is. And one of the other notes that I made so frequently as I was reading through Bomb Shelter and I'm talking about the the really difficult passages and the really funny passages and the preemptive grief for future scenarios, all of these things. I think my most common note in the margins of Bomb Shelter is, how do we live in a world like this? Yeah. that's. I mean, that's what that me character is, is trying to sort out from start to finish in that book is, okay, as it dawns on me that I can't change this fact. I can't change whatever fact it is. I can't change my son's diagnosis. I can't change the fact that the world is on fire. I can't change the fact that my parents are getting old. I can't change any of these things. I cannot fix them. So how do I get up every morning and keep going? And so what you see me doing, the me character in this book, is finding where to put focus so that I feel like, well, there are some things actually in in my control. And there are some things that are actually going really great. And there are some things I can do that make me feel like I've made a meaningful difference, even if I can't completely obliterate some of the threats out there. And one of the most helpful things for me, what kind of where you see me land at the end of Bomb Shelter, and this is not like a spoiler or anything, but is the small... Domestic is maybe the wrong word, or maybe it's the right word, but the, sort of the small everyday acts of caretaking, little things, watering my garden, like little things like that bring me great peace and joy. I can't stop war from happening. You know, I can't end global conflict, but I can go outside and put a little dish of water out for the reptiles who live in my backyard. These two things are so unconnected, but in my brain, that brings me comfort and happiness to be like, oh, look at the, look at the little lizard having a drink because I put the plate out there. That's something I could do. Yeah. Some evidence of the good and the beauty and the, the agency yeah. that we have in the world. Which is everywhere, really. The good and the, be and the beautiful are, are everywhere. They're all around us. If you're looking, and sometimes the evidence is very tiny, but putting myself through the practice of looking for that evidence helps a lot. There's a review of Bomb Shelter from Bookpage that says, Bomb Shelter is the perfect book for 2022. Existential dread, but make it hopeful. <laughs> I loved that. That's a that really so good well one. said. Yeah, and that's, that's really like the encapsulation of what you just said, and also a, a really good lead-in to... My focus for season two and the question that I'm asking everybody who who comes and spends spends time here with everybody is what does hope look like for you right now in this moment in time? What a good question. What does hope look like for me? Oh, man. I mean, I think it might go back to what we were just talking about. I hope always is that I am making some difference, that my life has meaning. Like I hope... I have not just been a big waste of oxygen. I hope that the things I do make a difference for somebody somewhere. And when I bring my focus close and small, I can see that that is the case. 
when I look too big picture at the world and I'm like, the ice caps are melting, there's a war, starvation is happening. Like when I look at big picture, I can see big, big tragedies and I can't fix them all by myself, but I can fix small things close to me. I can make the world softer and gentler and happier and sometimes funnier for the people and creatures that I can. There's a lot that I can do. I think that's what hope looks like to me is is just hoping that the things I do do make a difference. People have described Bomb Shelter as a hopeful book, which I love. I think of it as a hopeful book. I feel like it's a funny book to talk about because when we talk about the events of Bomb Shelter, it's a lot of bad stuff that happens. But I think of it very much as a feel-good book. So I keep saying like, it's a feel-good book. It just starts with me feeling very bad. <laughs> but that's what what hope is, is you know, trying to find a way to feel good and and useful and meaningful in the world, even though there's a bunch of bad stuff that happens. Yeah. And there's a real difference there between performative hope and performative feeling good in the face of difficult things and what yeah. you just described, which is finding a way to live in and live alongside the difficult things that happen in our own lives and in the wider world with a sense of agency and hope and feeling of use in the yeah. best possible meaning of that word. Yeah. I mean, the world is complicated. The world is full of big, heavy, dark stuff, but also each of us has the ability to do good things. And if you can, I don't know, this sounds so cheesy, but like live, live the most intentionally kind and helpful and, and funny, like be someone who brings joy whenever you can. That's a way to honor this big, complicated life that we're all living. That was a complete nonsense sentence. I don't even think it was a sentence, but I think you probably know what I mean. I know exactly what you mean. I don't think it's a nonsense <laughs> sentence at all because I followed that thread. And I want to bring it back to something you said right in the beginning as we were talking about hope is that your hope is hope for yourself and your own orientation and action to the world, right? Your own orientation to the world and your own action in the world, that your hope is not like, I hope things work out. No, like hope is that sort of hope for how I move in this world. Yeah. Yeah. I dig that. I think this is actually a really good place for us to come to a close, leave people with that particular message of hope. I'm going to link to everything, obviously, in the show notes. But where should people find you? Anything else you want them to know while you have the stage, my friend? Oh, that's so nice. You can find my books in bookstores. You can also find the audiobook, which is narrated by me out there in the world. Libro FM is a great audiobook platform that supports independent bookstores. I'm a huge fan of theirs. I have a website where you can go to subscribe to my mailing list. It's a little newsletter that I send like maybe once a month. And it always has a book recommendation, usually has a, a fun link, a song, a picture, stuff like that. Uh, I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. I still have a Facebook page. <laughs> I don't use it quite as much. <laughs> and that's where I am. Okay. And your name at all of those places, but we will, we'll link them in show notes so everybody can find you. I am you. so glad to have had this time with you. Thank you so much, my friend. I have enjoyed it. Thank you for having me.
it took 11 years to get to the sale. The NYX anniversary sale is on now at knix.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of NYX's biggest sales of the year. Get 30% off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. Millions of people have made the switch to NYX leak-proof underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. Save 30% on super comfortable, machine washable, and great looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. Don't miss this chance to stock up on your NYX favorites or try something new. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's KNIX.com for the NYX anniversary sale. Hurry, the sale ends on Monday, May 13th. Go to NYX.com. That's KNIX.com. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. When Dr. Sabah and I decided to do a skincare line together, he said to me, we are going to give women meaningful beauty. And I said, that's exactly right. We want to give women meaningful beauty, which means each and every product is meaningful. It has a, a reason to exist. It's efficacious. You're going to get results. And then you just go out and live your life. Meaningful beauty. Confidence is beautiful. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Are you spending more time in your basement now that it's your rec room, office, kids' playroom, or home gym? Well, you need to ventilate those spaces to remove stagnant, musty air. For over 20 years, the Easy Breathe ventilation system exchanges dirty, damp air for cleaner, drier, healthier air. Take charge of your indoor air with your own Easy Breathe ventilation system. You can get it installed, or DIY kits are available. Just call 866-822-7328 or visit TakeChargeOfYourAir.com and receive 20% off today. Before we get into this week's questions to carry with you, I want to let you know that registration just opened for an intensive training for professionals with me that begins this December 2022, in case you're listening later. All of the information about this training is on the website megandevine.co, but a very short summary, if you're a therapist, social worker, nurse, or other provider, during this training, you'll meet with me every other week for just over four months, four whole months, in live sessions covering everything from the current state of grief support and how the new diagnosis codes affect our work, to how you actually deal with grieving clients or patients in more human-centered ways. Now, this training is limited to only 50 people this time so that we have <laughs> a human way of connecting with each other. So check out megandevine.co to find the registration link. And I will also put the direct sign-up page in the show notes. Each week, I leave you with some questions to carry with you until we meet again. You know what really struck me in today's episode? I mean, other than how much I really, really like Mary Laura, what really struck me is the commonality of anxiety. So often I think we feel like we're the only anxious people in the world. Like there is clearly nobody else that tries to hold the entire world together with anxious thoughts, right? If that's you, if you try to hold the world together by worrying about it, you are not alone. I'm not alone in being wired that way. I think that's one of the big things that I took from this conversation today is that anxiety is really, really common. And so many of us, just work really hard to worry people into safety, even when it's not effective. 
The other thing that I really liked in this episode was Mary Laura's reframe about recentering on small things when the world feels overwhelmingly bad. Like in those big bad moments, it's easy to feel helpless, but it's in the smaller, intimate actions that we really have access to hope, at least in Mary Laura's definition of hope. Everybody's going to take something different from today's show, but I do hope you found something to hold on to. I'd love to hear what you think of this week's show, what you learned, what new conversations might be opening up in your own life about anxiety or love or keeping people safe. Whatever you're talking about, I would love to hear about it. Check out Refuge and Grief on Instagram or here after pod on TikTok to see video clips from the show and leave your thoughts in the comments on those posts. Be sure to tag me in your conversation starting posts on your own social account so I can find you. Use the hashtag here after pod on any platform so that I can search for you. The whole team loves to see where this show takes you. If you want to tell us how today's show felt for you or you have a request or a suggestion for a guest, give us a call at 323-643-3768 and leave a voicemail. If you missed it, you can find the number in the show notes or visit megandivine.co. If you'd rather send an email, you can do that too, right on the website, megandivine.co. We want to hear from you. I want to hear from you. This show, this world needs your voice. Together, we can make things better, even when they can't be made right. And you can help expand the community of people having conversations about difficult things by subscribing to this show on your favorite podcast platform, leaving a review, Reviews let other people know that it's not so scary in here once you get going. And please tell your friends about the show, too. Want more hereafter? Grief education doesn't just belong to end-of-life issues. As my dad says, daily life is full of everyday grief that we don't call grief. Learning how to talk about all that without cliches or platitudes or simplistic dismissive statements is an important skill for everyone. Find trainings, professional resources, and my best-selling book, It's Okay That You're Not Okay, at megandevine.co. Hereafter with Megan Devine is written and produced by me, Megan Devine. Executive producer is Amy Brown, co-produced by Elizabeth Fazio, with logistical and social media support from Micah, edited by Houston Tilly, and music provided by Wavecrush. Today's background noise is provided by my very elderly cat, yowling, for yet another meal. So, should we go electric? I think we should go electrified with Toyota. Electrified? Electrified means options. Yes, we could go all electric with a Toyota BZ4X, but then there are hybrids like Grand Highlander, or we could do something in between like a RAV4 plug-in hybrid. So, Toyota is electrified diversified? Yep, and with more options for reducing carbon emissions, the closer we all get to Toyota's Beyond Zero vision for the future. Exactly how much coffee have you had this morning? Uh-oh. Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah, and some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.
Looking for a fabulous fashion brand that celebrates you? Then look no further than Boston Proper, where styles are designed with you in mind, so you can look and feel amazing, no matter the day, season, or occasion. At bostonproper.com, you'll find fashion that knows you best. For over 30 years, Boston Proper has been the fashion destination for confident women who want to elevate their look with unique, sophisticated clothing at affordable prices. Visit bostonproper.com today. Boston Proper. Wear it like no one else.